There's a way, a way, such a better way Today, today Raise your voice, tell the world There's a better way Today, there's a better way This is Rod Adams, and it's time for another Atomic Show. My guest today is Rita Barnwell, an old friend who is now currently serving as a vice president at Westinghouse with a portfolio that includes their advanced reactor development. Today's uh, conversation will be focused on Westinghouse's recent announcement of the AP300. Welcome, Rita. Thank you, Rod. Good to be here. And Rita, why don't you give a brief uh, synopsis of your long uh, career in the nuclear industry and what brings you to where you are today? Okay, sure. Thanks. Well, um, I started actually in the nuclear industry after uh, earning my doctorate in material science and engineering. And really my foray uh, into nuclear was to um, develop new nuclear fuel for the U.S. Navy's aircraft carriers and submarines using some of the work that I had developed during my dissertation. Um, And I have stayed in the industry ever since. Um, I spent about 10 years at Bettis Atomic Power Laboratory, and really the turning point for me was when I stood inside of where the reactor would go in the USS Ronald Reagan as it was being constructed at Newport News Shipyard. And I realized that the magnitude and the energy density of the fuel that I was working on back at you know, my lab in Pittsburgh um, was going to help power the behemoth, uh, this behemoth of a ship um, to help defend my country. And, and it was, you know, just very a very impactful moment for me in, in my career. So I was very fortunate to have that experience. Um, towards the end of my time at Bettis, we actually embarked on a project with NASA to develop a reactor to go to Jupiter and explore the Jovian icy moons. And so that, to me, was also a very exciting application of nuclear power at this time for you know space applications. Um, I joined Westinghouse as a manager of materials and fuel rod design and was able to work on, again, nuclear fuel this time for commercial applications. And so that was my introduction to the the, um, commercial side of things and also introduction to the numerous customers that we have around the world. Spent about 10 years there and then moved on to launch the DOE initiative called GAIN, Gateway for Accelerated Innovation in Nuclear. I was the first director, spent three years there working with uh, companies and connecting them to the U.S. National Laboratory complex in hopes that uh, those companies could commercialize their technology faster using the resources from the national labs, the facilities, the technical expertise, the historical data, that kind of thing. Um, Through that experience, um, I was uh, nominated by the president and confirmed by the U.S. Senate to serve as assistant secretary in the U.S. Department of Energy in the last administration. So um, performed that function. It was a true honor to be nominated and and confirmed and be able to serve the industry um, in that capacity. And then... um, uh, after I left, after the administration ended, I served as the chief nuclear officer at EPRI, which um, had you know stood for Electric Power Research Institute, but now just goes by EPRI. 
And last year, I had the pleasure of rejoining Westinghouse as chief technology officer. Um, spent uh, almost a year and a half in that role and just recently have been named as senior vice president in energy systems to lead the deployment of our recently launched AP300 small modular reactor. So I'm very excited to talk to you today. Um, I, and it's and it's great to be able to chat with a friend um, about the the excitement, not only that's in the industry right now, but very specifically um, at Westinghouse these days. Yeah, I'm, we're, a lot of people are fascinated by the uh, path that Westinghouse is taking now for a smaller version of the AP1000, which of course is a bigger version of the AP600. So you're kind of filling out your product line and some of the decisions that you've made are extremely commercially oriented from my point of view, having spent a little time in, in factories and settings. Tell us a little bit about how you are going about building a smaller power version of the AP1000. So first of all, um, you know, we uh, I'd like to kind of set the stage as well for, for everyone that nuclear um, is so perfect for addressing the challenges that, that our world is seeing today. It provides emission-free energy, it provides energy security, um, energy price stability and grid stability. And so, you know, with respect to SMRs um, in general, which promise to uh, lower costs, be easier to license, uh, provide more uh, efficient construction and be quicker to deploy, um, you know, it's, uh, all of those are are part of our AP three hundred small modular reactor. Um, where Westinghouse has an advantage is that we have over seventy years of experience developing and implementing new nuclear technologies. And uh, three countries have already granted regulatory approval to our AP one thousand reactor. So the U.S., Great Britain, and China. Um, oh, about half of the world's nuclear power is generated using Westinghouse technology. 12 AP1000 reactors have either completed construction or undergoing construction. And we have 18 more AP1000 reactors under contract or selected by, by customers globally. And so um, it, it, make, it makes sense given the market that's out there at the moment, um, to, to launch an AP300 SMR. It's the only SMR that's based on nth-of-a-kind operating plants. We have 18 AP1000 reactor years of safe operations. And of course, that's based on the fully licensed and operating AP1000 technology. We have more than 30 years of licensing advanced passive technologies with global regulators, as I mentioned, those three countries already. And this concept we feel um, is, is readily deployable in that less than 0.4 acres are going to be needed for safety related buildings. So it's ultra compact. Um, it has a simplified design that reduces construction timeframes and maximizes the use um, of our established supply chain. So the, the AP300 though is going to have a lot of similar uh, appearance to the AP1000, as far as I can tell. It's still going to have a dome, containment dome, with a 
shield building, likely constructed in a similar manner to the AP-1000 shield building with the steel concrete composite uh, blocks, uh, if you might say, almost a Lego-like construction. And then you're going to use the same reactor coolant pumps and the same steam generator, but only have one loop. Is that uh, a, an accurate uh, interpretation of the statements of identical equipment? So there's there's a there's a single there is a single loop. Um, we are um, looking at small. I would I would call it smart innovation to address the cost drivers um, that we recognized and learned um, about during our AP one thousand construction. So we're going to focus on minimizing the footprint for AP three hundred, minimizing um, the equipment, but we will not be touching. Um, the NSSS or the, or the passive safety features of the reactor, um, because that you know that uh, could start to introduce licensing risk if we if we if we um, you know adjusted any of those. Um, it, it does use identical technology. AP three hundred does use identical technology as uh, AP one thousand, but it is optimized for the size and the power output of of the AP three hundred. Um, there is some one-time design effort um, that's going to be required um, that helps us ensure that AP300 is most cost-effective. Um, but maintaining you know, a firm basis on the proven technology um, of AP1000 is absolutely vital to ensuring that first-of-a-kind risks aren't introduced. I've written about this several times. So one of the factors in at least the Chinese reactor uh, construction time was the fact that the scaled up reactor coolant pumps, although they were the same technology as has been proven for many years uh, at sea, the, the actual manufacturing of that much larger version uh, ended up taking a lot longer than anybody expected because there were manufacturing challenges. There were certain harmonics and, and matters that were more a matter of art, manufacturing art than engineering science. So you're not going to be able to use the same reactor coolant pumps and they're not gonna come off the same uh, proven assembly line. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I, I, I don't know exactly, um, yeah, but we anticipate that there are going to be some, some small differences, yes. Okay. Now, what what drove the decision to uh, provide the AP300 with a longer refueling cycle? From what I can tell, it's four years uh, refueling vice the 18 months that's typical in commercial reactors today. So given, you know, given the number of customers that, that Westinghouse has globally, um, we used a lot of some of the uh, conversations that we have been having with customers over the past several years about having longer um, refueling um, windows, not windows, but, re re you know, um, years between refueling. And so we use that information, that desire um, to to be put into the AP300 design as well. So it allows our customers to use the fuel for uh, longer um, and doesn't require 
refueling outages as frequently as is needed uh, in, in the current commercial fleet. Okay, so those longer refueling cycles hopefully will provide the ability for customers to achieve perhaps even higher capacity factors in today's reactors. Although you're, we're getting close to the point where they can't get much higher. Um, right, we are getting, yes, it, it is. <laughs> it, it, we are very close to 100, right? But um, yeah. that is the intent. Yeah, that's the intent. And again, it, go, it goes back to listening to our customers, understanding what their needs are, and then innovating and, and implementing those requests into our, our new products and new reactors in this case. Given the background that you described for us, I assume that you're uh, somewhat attuned to the efforts that Westinghouse has invested over the past uh, maybe 10 years to improve light water reactor fuels. Some call it the accident tolerant fuels, but most of us or many of us advocates simply like to call it the uh, improved light water reactor fuels because we don't like to remind people that there is a, such a thing as accidents. But that's right. here now. T tell us about how those fuel improvements will uh, affect perhaps the performance of AP300. So um, at Westinghouse, that product line is called Encore. And our, our Encore fuel has um, several different features, um, including, um, you know, the, and, and they are aimed at better um, uh, fuel uh, cycle economics. So at the moment, we have just recently had license in the United States our adopt fuel pellets. Um, we are also working on um, coated cladding and then kind of the more long-term vision for our Encore product line includes silicon carbide cladding. And so all of that, um, you know, though each of those different variants can be used in the AP300 small modular reactor, but that said, um, it can also use traditional fuel. And so it's not beholden to, for example, some, you know, it's not beholden, we, we don't need, high assay LEU in this concept, mm -hmm. um, which is a benefit compared to some of the other SMR concepts that are out there. Um, but as we move to, you know, slightly higher enrichments, for example, you know, between six to 8%, that type of advancement in fuel can absolutely be used in the AP300, but it's not required. Another thing that is somewhat surprising or a matter of curiosity for me is I, re I believe that Westinghouse just submitted its licensing plan uh, to the NRC and it includes a fairly significant period of free application interaction with the NRC. I kind of thought that Westinghouse would tell the NRC, well, we've had about 30 years worth of pre-application discussions with you about this particular concept. So let's go straight to application. So you're right. Um, we, uh, I, I believe it was docketed on Monday, May, May 8th. Um, we, you know, we, we understand what the NRC's mission is, and that is to ensure the, the safety of the public. And we do not want to, to minimize um, or assume anything in terms of uh, um, you know what it will require to license this technology with the NRC, because we have worked with the NRC for decades. We understand what it takes 
to license a new technology and we respect the process. And so that's why you, you saw, you know, that we'll, we plan to issue several white papers. We've got uh, already had, you know, uh, early engagement. We plan to continue that. We're taking a structured approach. Um, we, you're right that AP 300 is very close to AP 1000 and one could assume, you know, it's almost negligible in terms of what the licensing differences are. But we want to respect the process. Um, and so we're engaging with the NRC. Um, and, I, and I don't want to minimize that, there, you know, there are differences. We are, um, as I talked about, the smart innovation, there will be some changes, um, but they're in the direction of goodness and applying the lessons learned that we have from AP 1000 to, again, to address the cost drivers for construction. Um, let me pause there and see if you have any other questions. Okay. Uh, kind of going along that same path because there are many impatient people out there and I'm one of them. Oh, me too. <laughs> uh, I've been, I've been, you know, writing about SMRs now for over 20 years. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm really anxious to see some of them get deployed. And I'm always excited when it looks like one has a shorter path than others. Uh, so one advantage that Westinghouse has is that you have gone through full uh, combined operating license applications with, I believe, at least four utilities for four different sites. Uh, and currently, two of those uh, for AP1000 are still uh, valid. Do you know if the plant parameter envelope for AP1000 and AP 300 has any similarities in, in any way to perhaps substitute one for the other or, or maybe even have more than one uh, 300 fit where one 1000 used to be? I I can't speak to that. I don't know that for sure. Um, the, the information that we are sharing publicly is that um, the footprint that is needed for the uh, AP 300 safety related buildings is less than 0.4 acres. And you, I'm sure you've seen the rendering that shows um, the reactor on a soccer pitch or, you know, internationally on a football pitch, and it's less than half the field. And so it's a relatively small footprint. Um, I don't think we have um, yet broached with, with those utilities you know, if we want to use the existing AP1000 plant parameter envelope um, for more than one um, AP300, though, in my personal opinion, um, that, you know, could be entertained. How does the 0.4 acres, or 0 0.4, 0 0.4 acres, is that what you said? Yes. Wow. I, I used to, I used to have a house that sat on more than 0.4 acres. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a pretty small piece of land. Um, so how does that compare to what an AP 1000 uh, safety related buildings uh, occupy? Oh boy, I don't know if I've had that data at my fingertips. Let me see if I can find that. Quickly. It's okay if you don't. It's, yeah. I, we don't necessarily prepare for our interviews ahead of time. So I sometimes ask questions that my guest is not ready to answer, but maybe you could you could send me that and I'll put it in the blog. Okay, I can definitely do that. Little, yeah, I can definitely do that. Accompany this interview. Yeah. Um, so I assume, of course, uh, commercial discussions are always 
rightfully confidential, but uh, have you had significant um, interest, excitement among your customers? Because as you say, Westinghouse has an awful lot of customers around the world for various products. We have had, even up to up up to May fourth, we had interest from international utility customers, our existing international utility customers, as well as um, conversations that we have uh, initiated with indu- new industrial uh, customers. So, you know, the AP three hundred is ideally suited for industrial applications, um, oil and gas. Uh, you know, in that industry, as well as serving uh, data centers, hospitals, and universities. So not only for electricity generation, but then looking at process heat, district heating, hydrogen generation, and water desalination. And so not only did we have interest from existing and I would say, you know, new new to the nuclear industry type of customers. But since our launch, we've had a substantial increase and, and gratefully so um, in the, the the interest from our existing customers, as well as uh, a new, I would what I would call a new customer base. How do you address or how do you answer those who point to light water reactor temperature limits and say, those aren't really very suitable for industrial heat uses. I know that in your former position as chief technology officer, you are familiar with your own lead-cooled reactor concept. And one of the advantages people talk about with lead-cooled is its ability to operate at significantly higher temperatures than water-cooled. How do you address that? Or what's Westinghouse's response? Um, you know, there are specific needs that are, are the, that we are addressing in the conversations that we're having with the potential customers. Um, and you're you're spot on, right? Every reactor has um, its benefits, and our lead fast reactor um, does operate at higher temperatures and can produce higher temperature quality, you know, high high quality steam, and it's great for those applications that are going to need that higher temperature steam. Um, but that is um, not going to be deployed until the next decade. AP300 is going to be deployed in this decade and does serve quite a bit of the needs of the industrial applications that um, our customers are asking us about. So I'm, I'm confident that this product, the, the AP300, is going to serve the needs. Um, and, and we do have a portfolio of different reactor products that can suit um, what our the breadth of you know of customers that we have what what they may be looking for from Evinci, which is our five megawatt micro reactor, um, to the AP three hundred to the AP one thousand. Several years ago, I think probably up until about twenty fourteen, Westinghouse was developing an integral small modular reactor. I think it was around two hundred twenty five megawatts electric. And that reactor got shelved. Are there any kind of quick uh, points that you might have for why you chose a different path than going back to what you had on the shelf? Uh, the the AP three hundred the the size is definitely um, more suitable to what we're hearing our uh, customers are are looking for, as well as this reactor is based on the the licensed AP one thousand technology. 
Um, and so it, it made sense to absolutely leverage those successes and also those lessons learned from, from AP 1000 and essentially um, scale it down to, to a SMR size. You and I both know that the, you know, the upper limit of what's a traditionally accepted definition of SMR is 300. And so that's another reason why we chose that size, um, that it's, it's going to meet the needs of what our customers are asking for, but still falls into the accepted definition of what an SMR is. Now, I, I, this may not be a question you can answer, but with my understanding of the history of nuclear, there was a time when both Westinghouse and General Electric were underselling what they could do. They purposely sold reactors with say 514 megawatts electric of advertised capacity, knowing full well that those plants could very easily go up to 620 megawatts electric. Uh, is Westinghouse underselling this uh, 300 megawatt reactor? I am not familiar with that, <laughs> that historical example that you gave. Um, and, and I'm not sure why either company would do that. Um, and so I, as far as I know, we are absolutely not underselling this. Yeah, well, most, you probably know that many reactors operating today have had some power upgrades and some of them rather significant. Uh, the, the, the series of reactors that uh, the specific numbers that I just used came from, uh, I can't remember what the model number, but it was a, the Vermont Yankee is one of them. Okay. Uh, and the reason they did that was because at that time, reactors were still pretty new. And so there was a lot of analysis that uh, had to be done and a lot of testing and proving that needed to be done before the uh, AEC would uh, accept the right. safety case. So okay. they, they, they knew they could get it up there. They just needed to do a little testing before they did. Uh, so the, the idea of having some, some margin uh, in a new design is not unusual. Uh, it's something that uh, one might might keep in your back pocket, though. So I understand your response, or I and you probably don't even know. So that's okay. Um, <laughs> so what's the goal date for getting the first AP three hundred up and running? Up and running um, is twenty thirty three, and let me work backwards from there. So we anticipate um, 36 months for construction. So that puts us at 2030 when the project would be ready for construction. Um, you, you saw that we just issued our um, nuclear um, regulatory engagement plan with the USNRC. Um, and we anticipate, while we can't uh, predict what will happen, but we anticipate design certification by the NRC in the 2027 timeframe. And that allows us three years for project preparation, which includes site-specific design and licensing and long lead time procurement. Um, and then getting us back to, you know, uh, starting the construction in 2030. So essentially 10 years from, from where you and I sit today, um, you know, I hope that we can reconvene and talk about, remember a decade ago and we had that interview. <laughs> <laughs> we were spot on and, uh, you know, that we have connectivity to the grid um, would be lovely. Now, one of the lessons that I'm sure that Westinghouse learned from the projects in Georgia and South Carolina is the vital 
necessity to have a complete detailed design or virtually complete detailed design before you start building. Uh, so is that what the three-year period is going to allow you to do? It'll it'll allow us that even even now, right? You know, if if you were to ask me, um, where are we in in the design process? You know, we're validating the design details right now, um, and and yes, we are applying those lessons learned, and and we'll have you know a a completed design before um, we move into construction. The one thing that we you know, well, there's several things, but the one thing I want to emphasize with our lessons learned with AP 1000 is that we understand um, how to understand when um, we're done. So we we know how done we are, right? We understand that. And so it's it's important not just to know that you're done, but to know how done you are. That is a valuable lesson learned that we gained from AP 1000. Okay. And part of that is up and before AP 1000, uh, nobody had really built a, a plant in the U.S. for a long time. Mm-hmm. So going from what design the engineers thought was sufficient to the design that the constructors thought was sufficient uh, might have been a bit of a delta. Right. And we're applying those lessons learned to the AP 300. Very good. Very for, good. For certain. All right, Rita, I, I know your time is valuable, and I want to give you the opportunity to to bring us home with a with some concluding remarks about your uh, new design and the excitement that Westinghouse has to re-enter the small modular reactor race. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Rod. Um, I, I'd like to end with just you know a statement that that small modular small modular reactors. Um, will and, and, and must have a place in the global economy. Westinghouse is really proud to introduce a versatile SMR, our AP1, sorry, a versatile SMR, our AP300 SMR. Um, and that's going to enable flexible tri-generation, as we talked about, electricity, steam, and hydrogen. And it's going to be able to support a wide range of applications. And that's essential to meet the growing market conditions that are necessary for SMRs. And it certainly increases the value proposition overall. Um, We talked about the customer profile. It's going to be broader than just the utility world. So for instance, with industrial customers that are looking for stable and attractive energy supply for their processes. Um, it will also, in, in that same vein, provide energy security. Um, and then I think, really, we talked about some of the hurdles of entry into the marketplace. They need to be addressed, licensing and, and constructability. And we have done this with the AP300 SMR. It's benefiting from the licensing experience, as well as the heritage of the AP1000 reactor. Um, it makes licensing um, a, a shorter route, we, we hope. Um, but the regulators won't take shortcuts in licensing SMRs. The amount of nuclear material that's contained in an SMR is substantial. So, so we understand that all SMRs need to go, need to undergo you know, similar reviews as large reactors um, do and have done in the past. Um, the best experience in constructing nuclear power plants is gained from constructing them. 
So there's 12 AP1000 reactors that have either completed construction or are undergoing construction, and they all provide us proprietary lessons learned. I think it's fair to say that the cost of electricity for SMRs is probably not going to be on par with the cost of electricity of large reactors in the immediate future, but SMRs absolutely have intrinsic economic and financial advantages. Lowering the value at risk in a way that makes their investment compatible um, with a broader range of balance sheets from utility to, to industrial customers is, is essential. All right. Sounds great. Looking forward to continuing to keep up with this uh, development, watching your progress at the NRC. Uh, my, my hope is that you and your team can somewhat challenge the NRC and not just accept their way of their historical way of doing business, but that's up to you guys. That's a commercial decision. Uh, I thank you for taking your time and uh, we'll be in touch. Are you going to be in Charlotte this year? I will be in Charlotte this year. Yes. Oh, good. And we'll we'll meet up there. See you then next month. All right. Thank you. This episode of the Atomic Show is brought to you by Nucleation Capital. We're a venture capital fund focused on selecting ventures with extraordinary promise. They're building the advanced nuclear sector and helping expand our clean energy options. We're building a portfolio of ventures on behalf of investors like many of you. We don't just take funds from the large institutions that typically allocate to venture capital. We believe that regular investors should have access to the opportunities in modern nuclear for their own portfolios. We allow people to subscribe on a quarterly basis, starting as low as $5,000 per quarter. A four-quarter subscription will get you exposure to between four and six ventures. If you are an accredited investor and would like to learn more about how you can participate, please check out our website at nucleationcapital.com. That's nucleationcapital, all one word, dot com. Our fund and all of the information you need to subscribe is available online. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Nucleation Insights, and join our pro-nuclear investor network to learn about select syndicated investment opportunities. If you have questions, we're happy to chat. Please spread the word. There's a way, a way, such a better way today, today. Raise your voice, tell the world there's a better way today. There's a better way. Ooh, there's a way, such a better way today, today. Now raise your voice, tell the world there's a better way. Today there's a better way